0: Welcome to this uh, podcast discussion. Uh, It's part of our Perspectives in Inflammation Series. And our objective here is to tell you a little bit about one of the superstars of global rheumatology and also someone I'm very uh, privileged to call a dear friend, Professor Chris Buckley. Um, What we want to do today is to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, incredible success uh, enjoyed by Chris just very recently in the award of the Carol Nachman Prize. Uh, Now, some of you may also be aware this is the 100th podcast brought to you by the SideKind Signalling Forum. And it is something of a coincidence that we have the chance to honour you, Chris, to learn a bit from you and also to celebrate the fact that 100 podcasts have now come to fruition talking about the incredible power of pathogenesis understanding and promoting the treatment of people with rheumatic and musculoskeletal diseases. By way of introduction, my name is Ian McInnes, I'm the Muirhead Professor of Medicine at the University of Glasgow. And it is an absolute pleasure, Chris, to have you with us. You're the Kennedy Professor of Translational Rheumatology at the Universities of Birmingham and Oxford. One university isn't big enough for you. You need at least two, which is quite extraordinary. And as I've mentioned already, we learned this week, you've been awarded the prestigious Carol Nachman Prize in Rheumatology. You you follow great names in the discipline there, and it is the foremost international award in our discipline. You must be really pleased, Chris.
1: Of course, uh, Ian, and I'm even more pleased to be following you since you were awarded it uh, last year um, with Ellen Gravelace. And uh, of course, these gongs are are good fun, but actually um, uh, what it's kind of rewarding is the team behind it and the, the sort of approach. Um, and I, I, I'm delighted. Thank you very much to the Cytokine Signalling Forum for asking me to do this 100th hundredth, uh, hundredth, um, podcast. It's an exciting time to be in rheumatology. Um, Cinderella has come to the ball. You know, the cytokines have been an important proof of principle that we can inhibit those and affect people's lives.
0: I couldn't agree more. I, I personally think rheumatology is just at the very front edge of molecular medicine applied to... Uh, to curative, eventually, therapeutics, Chris. I I believe we've been at the front of the wave for the last decade, and now never more than before with the the modern molecular science that you and some of your colleagues are applying. And, you know, we we have the pleasure of working together. So you've persuaded me. I've even learned to spell the word fibroblast, Chris. I suspect we're going to hear a bit more about that just in the next few minutes. But the, the, the idea uh, of, of team science, incredible molecular biology, the digital and analytical science that supports that, and the ability for us as clinicians to now really dream big for our patients. I couldn't agree more. It's an incredible time to be a, a rheumatologist. Chris, t- tell me a, a little bit about just th- this prize is a recognition of, of many, many years of diligent Science and I guess a bit of perseverance. Do you want to take me right back to the beginning? What what provoked your interest in this area of biology, which is the the area for which you've been most properly recognized?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I've been a bit of a uh, kind of strange uh, hybrid. I started my scientific career with a biochemistry degree actually in Oxford. Um, And then after that, I did medicine at the Royal Free in London. So I couldn't decide if I was a scientist or a clinician. And the truth is I'm a bit of both. Um, I guess if you were to really push me in, you know, and say you can only do uh, science or you can only do clinical, I would probably end up being more of a scientist than I am a clinician. But that changes over the course of your, you know, your career. Um, So I started really interested in the biochemical processes actually of metabolism um, i was very interested in that and then uh, having then it, 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 when i was doing medicine this was 1985 to, to 1990 you couldn't the graduate entry medicine was not popular um, and so the only place it were taken was the royal free which of course had a tradition of taking um uh doing odd things and it was one of the first medical schools to admit women um so it was a terrific uh, experience and then after that i went back to oxford um, having done some of my medical training in London at, uh, and, and did a PhD actually at the Institute of Molecular Medicine, as it was then, with a very big mentor of mine, David Simmons. I worked on, on cell adhesion molecules, how leukocytes adhere to endothelium. And that's when I first got interested in fibroblasts because around that time, the gurus of fibroblasts in, in rheumatology, um, Nathan Zweifler, uh, Gay, um uh, you know were and Gary Feierstein, of course were, we're really pushing these cells as being important, not just i guess at that stage to destroy joints and destructive phenotype, but I got interested in whether they might have an immune phenotype, particularly in regulating um, how cells behave within tissues and uh, that 's when I, I kind of started off on this uh, and moving to to Birmingham. Uh, 1996, gosh, it seems like only yesterday, um, I, I followed in footsteps of people who work on thymus, you know, Eric Jenkinson, John Owen, Graham Anderson, and so was very much led by their understanding of stroma and, and um, the role of the fibroblasts and stromal cells in educating T-cells in the lymph node, Ian McClellan in the, McClellan in the um, lymph nodes, of course, germinal centers, So my microenvironment in Birmingham was very much driven by that. Um, So that's the background really to the interest in in stroma. And um, I I think three revolutions have occurred that allowed us to really formally kind of prove that these cells are critical. One was single cell sequencing that allowed us to get at them. I I guess also um, the ability to get tissue out of humans in in a minimally invasive way, ultrasound guided biopsy. And then kind of the, the... the final bit was the proof that anti-anti cytokine therapy um, did what it said on the can. You know, so if, if you had an anti-TNF, really apart from some Fc receptors, it will bind TnF. So those three things coming together led to the ability to then formally implicate these cells in disease.
0: Often heard you introduce lectures, Chris. Um, I'm the guy that studies the forgotten cell. Poor me, pity me, for I am a fibroblast investigator and, and nobody cared until now. And I, I, Do you think it's really true now or do you not think the stromal cell is sitting front stage and centre in pathogenesis?
1: Yeah, I think now that's the case, probably partly because inflammation has been dominated little bit at the beginning by immunologists and stromal immunology really came of age I guess 20 years ago when those discussions were were beginning and realizing people realizing that uh, you know uh, you you've heard me say this before that you know T cells and B cells are the equivalent of, of Oxford and Cambridge educated in, in in the sense of and I ought to mention Glasgow and Edinburgh of course uh, but Harvard and Yale so they're highly educated cells they've got a terrific uh, ability to have memory and Boy, do we need them now with COVID. Um, uh, but the stromal cells that, you know, went to the polytechnics and learned how to build um, uh, structures. But we realize you need both. You can't have one without t'other. Uh, so, um, and, and I guess in, in the inflammatory field, fibroblasts for years have been known to be critical. They make many things that drive responses. So, yeah, of course, it's uh, the evidence, I think, that would convict the fibroblast in a court of law as having a role in in driving inflammation and, and producing cytokines after all you know the synovium the cell that produces the most amount of IL-6 is the fibroblast uh, and so but it's a bit of a tease to say that uh, it's it's the poor fibroblast of course it's not I mean it, it's the whole microenvironment together
0: I I, did, I I just want to pick up that last remark I, I couldn't agree more um, you know we're, we're both rugby fans Chris And, you know, depending on what position you played when you were a young lad, that'll be the best position in the field. I was a a wing forward, so that's obviously the best position in the field. The team couldn't function without a wing forward. But I, I think the truth is that a team is just that. It's a team. And this, I think that's one of the fundamental changes in the way in which we're starting to think about rheumatoid arthritis pathogenesis, and actually about the pathogenesis of a whole range of immune-mediated inflammatory diseases, we're we're thinking increasingly in a systematic way. And, uh, you know, I I think the single-cell sequencing revolution has made that an imperative, because, in fact, when we start to look at individual cells present in a joint, progressively it becomes harder and harder to categorize them, doesn't it? And then to try to understand how many relationships are going on in even a, a single synovial biopsy, it's certainly beyond the capability of, of, of a single human mind. And you've therefore, I think, done a brilliant job in bringing the informatics skills and the systems biology skills necessary to really capitalize on those advances that you were describing a few moments ago. Do you, do you want to elaborate a bit on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a huge privilege, of course, to have you interview me, because, of course, we know each other very well, uh, as you say, not only enormous friends, but actually colleagues working together in big consortia like the Rheumatoid Arthritis Centre of Excellence, funded by Versus Arthritis. You know, we've often joked together, you know, art is me, science is we, the collaboration of, of Newcastle, Birmingham, and now Oxford, I guess what it allows you to do is answer big questions. And I think as rheumatologists, we think big, you know, um, the COVID crisis has shown us people are dying of inflammatory disease where the virus has hit and run. Um, and to answer very big questions, uh, like how cells interact, we have to have teams of people. Um, like my colleague in, in, in Oxford, Mark Cole, suggests, the problem with life sciences is we haven't worked together as teams. If you're an engineer, you have to work together as a team to get something done. To put an airplane in the sky, you've got to have all the different components. Otherwise, it crashes. And we've had a reward system that rewarded the elite athlete. And so I think rather than wanting to be the decathlete who gets all the glory, I would rather have the 10 best people in the world. So that you know, the best sprinter, the best javelin thrower, the best high jumper. Because if you had all those 10 working together, they'd thrash the elite athlete decathlon who got all the glory. So, but it takes a lot of trust and um, time, you know, and um, the current models are, are tricky because, you know, one university wants to be the best. And so you've got to, as you work cross discipline, cross institute, you're really challenging the status quo that actually, you know, I win when you win. The model has always been I win because you lose. And we've got to challenge that and i know you know you passionately believe in that um uh and, and it's great not only that but john isaacs our very good friend and so when we come together you know your expertise in, in in cytokines and in the acquired immune response john's expertise in doing experimental medicine and dendritic cells our expertise in fibroblasts you know that combo really uh ha- has revolutionized the way we can answer these big questions
0: yeah I you you, you used a word just a moment ago, Chris, that has real resonance with me. I think the word you used was trust. And you, you also mentioned RACE, the RA Centre of Excellence, which is now a centre of excellence actually for inflammatory arthritis, uh, generously funded by, by Versus Arthritis. But sometimes we almost feel a bit of a, bit of a fraud because we, it's just a, actually a group of curious friends who love working together. Who love thinking of the toughest questions and then just love getting on with answering them. And uh, and as you mentioned, just as I think of this discussion coming together, you mentioned the the incredible advances that are now possible in the power of molecular medicine. But trust goes beyond colleagues working together, Chris. And I, I wonder if I can just tease you into thinking also a little bit about the central role that patients have. And it's not an artificial approach to say, oh, we better have a patient representative. I mean, one of the things that I think has driven your work over the years, as it has my own and that of many others, is a fundamental appreciation of, first of all, what dreadful diseases, musculoskeletal conditions are. And secondly, how extraordinary are the insights we gain when we talk to people with this disease? Do you want to maybe share a few thoughts in that area because that and you know the contribution of biopsies and samples and all that goes with that has been a core part of your work
1: yeah i i you know nothing about us without us the kind of motto of course uh you and pare um and i i think if i'm honest at the beginning you kind of think oh well yes it'd be nice to have their insights but actually um, it's more than that, it, not just their, their insights, their involvement and ability to change the way we think. Because, you know, my good friend, uh, Andrew Philo, who really started the uh, ultrasound guided biopsies, um, you know, he, he was very uh, passionate about the fact that patients would have to have these biopsies done to them. And there was a lot of sort of patriarchal views we know best as doctors. Oh, they po- won't possibly want this. And then when you speak to people and explain to them, actually, they become the best advocates. Mm. Um, and in order to do human biology, you know, we're, not enough, we're not vets and we don't want to cure cure mouse arthritis. Um, we want to, to cure human disease. And so getting folks on board to help us understand what's, what we think is possible and what's not. And you know, I can only speak for the race consortium has been brilliant at, at getting people together and asking views about what do you think about this? And, People often ask the most simple of questions, uh, which is profoundly true. You know, um, how many people are you going to save if you do this? How many people are you going to treat? Not what's all the interesting science, but how's it going to impact? Um, And I think those approaches make the patient story very relevant. And particularly when you're explaining about multiple biopsies, when when we explain, as we have done together uh, and in groups, um, that it biology is all about how things change over time that a single snapshot you know if i take a picture of the two of us now a single snapshot that it won't tell very much but if i showed the video we'd understand it and so to encourage people to have two or three biopsies or even you know goodness a biopsy in two different sites after all the joints are you know they're all over the place uh, uh, that's a big challenge but Um, Our patients encourage us to do that and uh, um, that I think has been a huge advance as I said the three things, single cell, the ability to get tissue and then the ability to put drugs in to measure that delta, that change.
0: And a, a very concrete example of that Chris, I mean you'll recall very well that when we originally imagined our collaborative work many years ago now, we were focused at that stage on early disease let's get in really early and, and rightly so because early or even pre uh, disease is an opportunity for prevention but when we came to renewing our our center grant together that it was patients who said hang on a minute what about us what about the people with established disease and what what could what could and should you be learning from us and doing to help us and and of course from that chris came." some of the real momentum in your stromal work it it came uh it it gave real momentum to our our focus on remission trying to understand well if someone's in remission why is that why do they stay there and that as you know has brought shared publications and real insight into why disease isn't there as much as why it is there and so the patients took us to Mm. establish disease they took us to remission Um, it's an unwise clinician scientist that doesn't listen to the uh, sagacity of their patients i i I must say and i you you're an example of someone who's listened i think better than almost anyone chris i i want to take you on now I, i want to maybe now tap your brain on the kind of structures that allow great science to take place. We're in a post-COVID or peri-COVID really era now. We're being told that we're going to have to innovate to get out of a potentially quite severe economic recession. We're going to use human ingenuity to get there. And of course, we want rheumatic musculoskeletal diseases to be at the very forefront of that Uh, innovation and ingenuity but that requires a model doesn't it it requires a place for science and clinical science especially to be done and you've really uh, you've led the way once again here um, in the the creation of the arthritis therapy acceleration program ATAP to help those of us of a Glaswegian tongue who struggle with long titles tell me a bit about ATAP where did that come from what what is it so I guess for,
1: once I was interested in stromal cells, I began to wonder why um, patients with arthritis get certain joints affected. You know as well as I do when, when you're going to the clinic and somebody comes and they've got puffy joints, you're, you're interested in uh, in looking at the pattern. Clinicians are good at, at a few things, but what they're really good at is recognizing patterns and, and m- making that pattern link to something they've seen before. So the interest in In why the knuckles, both knuckles, and then why the skin, why the eyes, why the gut. So, these well known things like, you know, uh, patients with inflammatory bowel disease sometimes have eye problems and sometimes have skin problems and the spondylarthropathy, psoriatic arthritis, things that you're very interested in. Patients don't make these connections, but we're taught to do that, pass our exams by that. So, I was always intrigued. And of course, fibroblast is a cell that's present in a number of places. So, I began to wonder you know how what what would a fibroblast in the joint look like compared to fibroblast in the skin or in the eye or these places where we get this comorbidity and it struck me that actually the only way you could do that is to work across disciplines and the problem with medicine is it's siloed into these ologies you know rheumatology gastroenterology dermatology but biology doesn't give a a, 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 a fig for that kind of classification it's a human construct um it cares about the cells and and so I realized that to do that you needed to have cross um cross d- discipline approaches and we all talk about multidisciplinary and so on, but actually we all revert back to our silo and so it was in that attempt to how can you get involvement with gastroenterologists, dermatologists ophthalmologists um that in Birmingham we kind of set uh, started to begin that, and our institute tries to do that cross disease uh, specialties but i realized that that just wasn't going to be enough and we would have to have cross institution because there were strengths that one institution had that not another so partly um uh you know with serendipity um and i remember getting on the phone call for you, you just come off a plane back from the states saying you know uh, Fiona powery my uh, uh, great uh, uh colleague of course who's now my boss in Oxford had just contacted me Chris what do you think about an opportunity to do something like this the Kennedy trustees they of course made their money from the anti-TNF and methotrexate combination have suggested that we should think about a cross university cross discipline and I jumped at it of course mm-hmm. and uh, you encouraged me because you never know with these things and that's three years ago now so the Arthritis Therapy Acceleration Program is really the first cross-disease, cross-institute um, kind of collaboration to try and get at what are the commonalities and what are the differences uh, in cell types. And I think timing is everything, and so that's coincided with the advent of the human cells, cell atlas. A very simple question: you know, how many individual cell types make up uh, an organ in the synovium? And you know, that question is hugely important. And yet in the 21st century, we can't answer. And that becomes relevant for the cytokine um, signaling forum because we know that TNF is important. We know that R6, but we don't know which cells are making those in different sites in, in, in the body. So that was the, the 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 kind of background. And the Kennedy trustees were good enough to to fund it. And so that's the beginning of it. And it's if if it's going to have credibility, we should be able to move forward to, to accelerate studies in patients early on. And that innovation is going to be critical because how are we going to get in post-COVID these experimental medicine studies? We have to crash down the numbers of patients required. So I think the innovation will have to be less patients in trials. We can't afford to have 200 patients. Um, you know, I think we won't be able to quite have placebo arms like we've had in the past because who would want to go into placebo arm when you've got a very good therapy? For example, in COVID now, who's going to want to not have dexamethasone? (laughs) So I think the days of, particularly for IBD, less so for arthritis of placebo controlled trials going to have to go. We'll have to have against best, best care. Um, And we'll need smaller numbers of patients. And I think utilizing biopsies and looking at tissue will reduce the number of patients we need. And we have to engage our patients to say, do you, do you want to do this? And then the regulators. So there's lots of, these are wicked problems in the sense it's like whack-a-mole, you know, you solve this problem and then another one pops up here. Um, But to do that, you need a consortium of people, not just one organisation. So that's been the kind of philosophy behind it.
0: Uh, Well, of course, Chris, one one of the signs of a really good friend is uh, because I have to say, I remember that conversation very well and it's being able to say go for it it's fantastic when one is actually insanely jealous and i <laughs> I, I really have been pretty jealous of the the atap program of course the, the joy of the uh the the inflammatory arthritis center that we share is that in fact atap has become part of that and one of the great consequences in fact was the, the kennedy and oxford joining the the the, the center collaboration to enormous Uh, mutual benefit, I have to say. But just, you know, in a couple of words, what do you think are the key findings that have been a result of the ATAP initiative?
1: I think the critical things uh, are the tissue is important, um, understanding the cellular ecosystem of a tissue, and how that relates to the infiltrating cells and inflammation. So cross, and it,
0: and it led to it led you to this concept of subsets of fibroblasts and the way that there are subsets of T cells, subsets of B cells, and um, maybe even of macrophages. Although you'd you'd have to put a gun against my head before I was prepared to commit to that quite yet. But that, that that for me is one of the most striking things you've contributed to our literature. Yeah, and I think
1: ATAP kind of. Having a question without the technology to answer it is very frustrating and sometimes futile. You need the technology to answer the question, but you need also the question to apply the technology to. And I think that's where having, you know, none of us have 360 vision, and and therefore the challenges of working together mean that you're pushing at those boundaries. People have bring different things in. But the understanding of the cellular basis of disease, Mm. you know, this cytokine is made by this cell, and the receptor for that is here. And the work we've just done together, um, a huge success for race, you know, how does the macrophage in the synovium relate to the fibroblast in the synovium really is, I think. And why that's important, Dionne, because people want to know, you know, mechanisms always matter. People want to know the mechanism by which something is happening. If we're going to drug something, take a drug, we have to know the target. You can't design a drug unless you know the target. And equally, I don't think you can really understand biology unless, unless you understand the cell. The cell is the equivalent of the element in the periodic table, how those cells interact. And what I think we're beginning to see is that the fibroblast and macrophage in, in health are very important in that kind of lining layer. And of course, subsets, what does that mean? But in, in again, in this analogy of the periodic table, subsets to me are like elements in a, in a family in the periodic table. You might have, you know, Uh, lithium, sodium, and so on, you might have chloride and bromide. They're they're similar, so you can call them that family member, but how sodium goes with chloride to make salt is different, but similar to how lithium goes with chloride to make a different salt. And I don't think we could have done that had we not had multi-university, in other words, cross-institute, cross-discipline, because I've learned so much about macrophages from you and, and, of course, our good friend and colleague Mariola, Who's really been persistent at doing that, um, and equally dendritic cells, and equally lymphocytes, and of course the truth is the whole. In the end, we have to put that together. That that that's going to be the real challenge. All this big data, how we put it together, and show the functional consequences for that.
0: You know, it's it's interesting. You mentioned uh, uh, Mariola Kroska-Stolarska and uh, others like Carl Goodyear and and, and colleagues who have helped us in this journey and, you know, in your own place, Adam Croft and others. Um, And these are people whom you and I have mentored from career development fellowships now into senior established tenure posts. And in truth, they're leading us rather than the the other way around. Uh, It's one of the great joys of academic life is mentorship and seeing the success of those that we had the privilege of training. you're one of the great mentors in our discipline, Chris. You teach us all. Do you want to maybe think out loud about just how important that is for our discipline at the moment?
1: Uh, I think for the clinician scientist, that kind of dying breed, it's dying not because people don't want to do it, but this you end up being caught in the middle. You're neither a good clinician nor a good scientist. And I think the only way to solve that is to have teams of people that can kind of protect each other and so there is a magical kind of size if you like it's like kind of goldilocks not too hot not too cold just right it varies from discipline to discipline Um, but unless you know you think about the mentors you've had and i talked about david simmons and others um unless you 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 see that it can be done it's very hard to be the pathfinder so um and, and i think i mean that's one of the most fantastic things is to, to be a proper mentor and as you've just said um friendship is about um uh, having a, a good degree of jealousy because that's important that pushes us on i call something the jealousy index and um, there's a paper just published in nature uh, this week actually doing i mean this is the paper i'm most jealous of basically comp- comparing structural cells from 12 different organs endothelium epithelium and fibroblast proving once and for all that these cells are the immune regulators because they affect how cells coming in. A, a, a fantastic paper from, from a group in, in in Vienna. And I always laugh and tell my folks, you know, if the jealousy index is over 100, that's a super paper. Um, but you need that kind of thing. But what you don't need to be jealous of is the people who are coming up behind you. You need to be jealous of your colleagues. And that's good because it's healthy, uh, you know, you and I. And we, but you can't be jealous of the folks coming up behind you. And if you're any good as a mentor, they should be better than you. And that's tough sometimes to put the ego at the door, but when you do that, and you look at the people who have mentored people through, you know, look at the great rheumatologists, uh, before, I don't want to call them all out because I'll get cross, uh, if I don't mention them, but you know, who, who mentored us, that's the legacy we have to leave, um, to be jealous with each other. Because you know we're colleagues together, but not to be jealous of the ones coming up, uh, and who are who are actually, you know, better than us.
0: So your um, your 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 um, daddy bear, mummy bear, baby bear <laughs> analogy um, makes me think of family, Chris. Uh, your career has been underpinned by enormous support at home. I know that, and. Um, how important is that work-life balance been to you over the years in being a sustained, productive, international academic, but also a thoroughly decent human being?
1: Oh, now he's flattering me. Um, but you're right. I, I, I love that quote in Harry Potter. Dumbledore is speaking to him, and Harry Potter is, you know, kind of really anxious about the future. And uh, Dumbledore says to Harry, it's not our abilities that shape our future, but the choices we make. Um, and, you know, I often think of, of a kind of, you know, I'm a very big Trinitarian. I like things in threes and uh, yeah, you know, your family home, your work and you, and very occasionally you hit the sweet pot of, of, of all three. Um, it is challenging because you and I know that we're, we're odd. I mean, you know, to do what we do is odd. Um, and in fact, we're not normal if we're really honest and to have family to put up with, with us. Um, you know your dear wife as well uh, in the Covid era We've not been able to travel which is great because we can be at home But we, we are obsessed with something that is actually more than just a job It becomes a hobby and we have to watch it that it doesn't become obsessional um, uh, So I, I I am very fortunate to have three boys uh, And a wonderful wife who keeps me grounded and says you are getting to the point that you're objectionable You're obnoxious. It's time for a holiday and put away that phone you're not allowed to look at it and as your wife has done 10 o'clock curfew you can't look at it because it's tempting to think that you know you can answer all the problems solve everything but the nice thing is that we don't have to and the world will carry on regardless um but you're right family are so critical and uh but to keep you grounded you know
0: yeah that's a i think that's a lovely message particularly to to some of the younger physicians and potentially clinician scientists who listening to this podcast just before we close chris a, a, a couple of thoughts perhaps and where we're going as a field in rheumatology what do you think the big hits are going to be in the next four or five years
1: it's a wise man or a woman who predicts the future if you want to make god laugh tell him your plans um <laughs> but uh i think we're in for some exciting times you know as a specialty you think back to when you know uh, maxim dugadas always had that thought experiment think of a of an outpatient in the 1960s then in the 70s and then biologics come you know suddenly everything has changed um methotrexate a huge game changer mike weinblatt who are really underappreciated for the amount of effort going in that was a big game changer a bit like dexamethasone cheapest chips going to change at least for the very sick patients now on itu um but i think we're going to move from biologics now to be able to target the, the cells that those uh, cytokines are making and understanding the ecosystems. Combination therapy may well come back now we understand it a little bit better. I think for us as rheumatologists, as awful as COVID has been, COVID is kind of like uh, vasculitis, it's uh, you know, the, the whole area of thromboinflammation. Um, I don't know quite where rheumatology will go, but I, I do think we will end up being important physicians in that area of inflammation biology. Um, and whether it takes us into fields of you know, non-infectious inflammatory diseases, infectious inflammatory diseases. Uh, our patients, um, you know, have taught us a lot about inflammation, um, but I think now we owe back to, to use that inflammation to break down these silos. You remember when we, we learned medicine, we talked about the surgical sieve. Is it congenital or is it acquired? Is it neoplastic? You know, is it infective? Is it metabolic? I think medicine will boil down to five kinds of. Sort of processes, the inflammatory process of which I think rheumatologist should be a big component, uh, degenerative processes like neuro- neurological diseases, metabolic, uh, infective, neoplastic um, and those processes really are what dr- drive. So I would love to see a future where we didn't call ourselves rheumatologists. We're inflammation, med- inflammation doctors. Um, and we embrace that diversity and stop trying to just look at the joints and if we do that i think that would be an exciting thing with all the new therapies that we have
0: so the ultimate success would be the dissolution of our uh, discipline uh, yeah,
1: yeah the, the 200 exactly it's a bit like if you you're setting up a company the ultimate success is to have sold the company on to another company
0: well what 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 a lovely message um chris you know it's uh, We we better close the podcast at the moment. What an absolute joy and a pleasure to talk to you. I always learn from you, and this was no exception. Um, And I I know I'm speaking on behalf of many people who are listening in in wanting to congratulate you once again and your really thoroughly well-deserved recognition and receipt of the Karel Nachman Prize. Um, But also thank you for all of the incredible knowledge you've shared with us all, and at a personal level, the... The friendship and empowerment that you brought because working together is a whole lot more fun than uh, than working apart and um thanks also to all of you who have listened into the the podcast i hope you've enjoyed this discussion and gained some insights into how rheumatology research is progressing but also how a great rheumatologist can make such a difference um and please subscribe to the csf in your favorite podcast app visit the csf site to download the latest paper Slide summaries, author interviews, and, and monthly podcasts. It's an incredible resource. It's there. We hope you'll use it. We hope it will ultimately improve the way in which you look after patients, which is ultimately why we're all here. So, thanks ever so much for your attention. Uh, thanks, Chris, and I hope you find the podcast useful. Stay safe, stay healthy. Bye bye. <laughs>